I'm Wesley with Revive Texas. Welcome to Revive School. You may be thinking, who's this tall country guy? Well, I'm a part of the Revive Texas team. And so just happy to jump in with Kyle and help him teach some of these lessons. Today we're going to be in Judges chapter 3 and 4, uh, talking about just the judges and how, how they passed the test, to be honest. How did they actually do uh, once Joshua was gone, once they handed off the baton? And so I'm going to start out with a word of prayer real quick, and then we're just jump into Judges chapter 3. So Father, I just thank you for Revive School. I thank you for the men here that are filming and all the things you're doing. God, I pray you give us peace, and I pray you just give us a word today, that your word would transform our life today, that as we study Judges, God, that we would actually, it would download into us what you're trying to speak to us through these two chapters. So thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for Kyle, and Lord, I thank you for this text. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to open your Bible up, go to chapter 3, verse 1, and uh, we're just going to start there. So Judges chapter 3 verse 1 reads this, Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known the wars of Canaan. And so right off the bat here, you see something that kind of strikes me as different. Just to be honest with you, when I read this, uh, when you study Joshua, Joshua gets a lot of heat, a lot of slack from not actually conquering the whole land. God told him to do something and do it fully, but they kind of backed up a little bit from doing it completely. But here we read in this text that even in that, God had a purpose for these nations. And so as you read verse 3-1, it says, These nations are which the Lord left that he might test Israel. So my question to you is this, what do you think of when you think of a test? We're going to see how the Israelites took the test and how they, what their grade was. But I actually learned, just, just to go ahead and put it out there to you, that God grades on a different curve than we do. And so sometimes as you're reading the Bible, you're thinking, what's going on? But I really feel like that you're going to see some things about the character of God, but you're also going to see some things about the Israelites and these deliverers that God raised up to help them uh, fully seek the Lord. And so as we're reading this, I just want you to write test. Actually, I'll go ahead and write it for you here. We're going to see how Israel did, how they passed or failed, or maybe it wasn't the test. Maybe it was just this relationship with God. And so, Kevin, if you want to go to the next verse, Judges 3.2 says this. So uh, part of this test was there was a generation of Israelites. It says this was so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Next verse 3. Namely, these are the people that God left. Before I call these names out, though, I just want to talk to you for just a second about what is this about not knowing war? Uh, sometimes people see war... I'm not here this morning to debate whether war is good or bad, uh, but I think the Bible says that we're all in a spiritual battle. There's all a war. And so whether or not, whatever you believe, the only way the children of Israel were going to conquer the land is they had to go to war. They had to drive out the inhabitants. There was bloodshed. There was all kinds of things in there that had to happen for them to drive out the land. But there rose a generation, it says, after Joshua, who hadn't saw the things that Joshua did. They weren't around the things where Moses saw and the things that Joshua saw, the hornet that went before him and all these things. And they actually didn't know war. And they didn't know and hadn't saw what God did. And so somewhat in this testing is that they were kind of soft, just to be honest. And so in that, as God leads them to the land, he's starting to tough them up to give them a good reality check. 
I think sometimes that we have lost our framework of reality. What is reality today in America? Are we really in a battle? Or have we kind of just slid off like the people in Joshua's day, his descendants, and just have forgotten what it cost us to be where we stand today? So real quick, these are the, these are the people that the Lord left. So some of these names you'll, you'll recognize. The five lords of the Philistines. We see the Philistines throughout uh, the Old Testament as always enemies of God. Uh, some of you guys know Goliath. He was probably the most important Philistines that you know. Uh, the Canaanites, the Sidonites, the Hivites who dwelled in Mount Lebanon. And from Mount Baal, Mount Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. So it says again, he reiterates what he said in verse 3, 1. He says, and these were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether or not they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hands of Moses. So here's, you know, why does God test you? What is this testing about? I just want to kind of spend just a little bit of time here, uh, just cruising New Testament and Old Testament really brief about does God still test us? Why does God test us? So you kind of know how we add up. We're going to look here at Moses, uh, just kind of one of the first tests that I can actually remember. So Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, Then came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines. Although that was the easiest way, the easiest route, it was near. For God said, lest, if I lead them, this is my interpretation, it says, God says, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Next verse. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So you see in this text, when God led the people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, He didn't send them the easy way. He didn't send them that way because it would have been real easy for Egypt to come upon them. And when He said, when they saw war, they would do what? What would they do, Kevin? They'd go back. They'd go back. Now why is that? Because it's easier. It's easier. Has there ever been a time in your life where you want to go back? Or maybe you caught some more. Maybe some things come in. You, maybe you weren't looking for it. And you knew, man, I, I, I'd rather just run. Maybe fear came upon you. The nation of Egypt was big. They were lots of people, but God knew what he was doing. And so he was testing them to see what they would do. So, Kevin, if you'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. So he leads them out of Egypt into the wilderness. Why does he do that? Verse 8, 1 says this, every command, this is Moses' commission, every commandment which I command you today, be careful, observe it, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which your father swore to you. Verse 2, and you shall remember the Lord your God that led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And so this is the other side of, he's talking about how Egypt, how did they do? How did the Israelites do when they came through the wilderness? They were hungry, manna came. They were all sorts of things. The water was bitter, he made it sweet. All these things happened to test them. Deuteronomy says to know simply one thing. What do you think that is, Jeff? What was he trying to test them? If they could trust God or not. If they could trust him. Scripture simply says to see what's in their heart. Sometimes I think I'm an old school guy. I think talk's cheap. You can say anything. But if I hang around you, I'll know what's in your heart. Because the Bible says, out of the heart, your mouth speaks. And so the, the person who you are is what comes out of you. We can say and do certain things in certain arenas, but the reality is the lifestyle of our life is the intentions of what our heart is. 
So how would they line up when they were hungry, when they were pressed, when they were fearful? What would be in their heart? Would they seek God with their whole heart? Would they humble themselves? How did they pass the test? We know from you guys being in uh, the first five books that some of them passed the test well and some of them didn't. Uh, the names that stick out are the guys you've been talking about, Joshua and Caleb. Here they are. And what's cool to me is to see these guys' legacy. These guys had a legacy. Their obedience that you've been reading about and you've been studying about, you're fixing to see it filter down through the children of Israel. And so I want to jump back into the text. But before I do that, I want to just go New Testament real quick. Sometimes we read the Old Testament and you think, well, that was in the Old Testament. That doesn't apply today. Well, just in case you were saying that, I want to debunk that. So, Kevin, if you'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is 2 Corinthians. It says, examine yourself. Some texts say, test yourself. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed are disqualified? Here is talking to, hey, where are you at? Take the test. What is the test? What is the intentions of your heart? To know that Christ is in you. There was a period of time in my life that I professed Christ for quite a long time. But if you had hung around me, there was no Jesus in my life. It was when I was 25, I met Jesus. And from that day forward, the test I can take is that there's transformation in me. I met God. I met Jesus. And there is, it, it, it's who I am. It's my nature. He changed my nature. Take the test today as we cruise through this. What's going on in your life? Maybe it's not a test of salvation. Where are you at with God? How are we living in America today? So as you hear about judges, we're fixing to dive into judges. As you hear about what children of Israel did, as you hear about these deliverers that God raised up, where do you fit in this picture? Where do you fit in today as we study out the book of Judges? So Judges chapter 3, in verse 5, he actually talks about Verse 4 was, who stayed? The Philistines, the Sidonites, the Hivites, uh, the, the Canaanites. And now, verse 5 says this, The children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So what does all that mean? There's a lot of sites. <laughs> Amen. How they had to live among the people. These nations remained in the land. And so in that, they had interactions with them. How are we doing in our interactions with man? How are we doing living in a culture? So when I hear these words, they're kind of foreign to me because we don't talk, they're, they're different. I know some of them. But in that, I'm processing this. How, how, how did the children of Israel, what are they going to do when they're living in a culture that may be different than the one they're used to? How are they going to do when they step off into an environment around a culture of idolatry, of different beliefs? When God says, this is who we are, this is who you, be separate, be holy, be set apart. How are they going to do in people, places, and things when maybe Joshua ain't there? Maybe when their mom and daddy ain't there or their granddaddy ain't there. How are they going to do on their own? So let's go to the next verse. Judges chapter 3, verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. So here the Israelites are. They're dwelling amongst these different people. And here's how they did. Uh, and they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served other gods. Is anybody surprised? Uh, not me. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, this seems to be a thread. This seems to be a common occurrence, although I don't think it has to be. But I think as we start to read this, what happens when you really cast your tent towards Sodom, as Lot did? There's all kinds of things in this, but what did they specifically do? They specifically began to take their daughters, the Israelites took their daughters, excuse me, the Canaanite daughters to be their wives. 
And the Israelites gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. They compromised the integrity of marriage. They compromised their integrity of marrying within uh, their core beliefs of Israel, Israel, being Israelites. And so let's see how that happened. What happened when they done that? Verse 7. As they intermarried and they gave their daughters and their sons, they started serving other gods. And then verse 7 says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They started out with something that seemed really small. And then next thing you know, they're serving other gods. And then the next, it's corporately, it started out individually where they started intermarrying. But then it began to affect the whole of their nation. They forgot the Lord their God and they started to serve Baals. They started to serve the gods of the people that were in the city, that were in the country. And then verse 8 says this, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia. I'm going to leave that one alone. I've studied it, but I don't want to mess it up. So here it is. What happens? Israel sins. They disobey God. It wasn't one sin. It was corporately. It was a lot. They, they continually lived. It wasn't like they missed it one time, and then God sold them into slavery. No. Through the process of time, they began to step off into idolatry to where it affected all of them as a whole. And so here you see the anger of the Lord burns hot against Israel. I want to stop just a second. Because sometimes in the day we live in today, when you hear the anger of the Lord burned hot against Israel, you're like, how can a loving God, his anger burn hot against Israel? Well, I think you got to know this about judges. What is a judge? Simply fact in the judges is a judge is a bringer of justice. Uh, they weren't necessarily... Uh, court guys, some of them were, but the reality of it was justice is what? You want justice. You want to be liberated. Justice brings liberation. There has to be penalty paid, but in that, it, it brings you out. And so as he starts talking about this, he was hot against them. I've been processing the love of God. You can see it since Adam and Eve, and you can track it all the way through to now, and you're going to keep tracking it till we see Jesus, that God loves you so much, he's not willing to allow you to continue to walk in disobedience. And so sometimes the anger of the Lord is just. And if it's just, it's good because the goodness of God and the justice of God, they run hand in hand. God's goodness can never override his justice, but his justice won't override his goodness. And so in that you have a picture of God that God can be angry and he can burn hot and he can actually send things to get people back on track, but never lose an ounce of love. And never filter away from what justice is. And so when you think of justice, you think of these scales. I feel like this right here represents to me that our lives are in a balance. There's light and there's dark and we're caught in the balance of what God's doing. And I believe sometimes sin tips our scale, but the whole, I believe Holy Spirit, God is over here bringing it back in. Whatever he does, he's bringing us back. Why? Because he loves us. I have kids. I'll do anything in my power, whatever it takes to bring them out of love sometimes though, I have to do tough love. I feel like the book of Judges is what I would consider tough love. Things had to happen, but the main goal of this is that people would receive the love of God and walk in fellowship with Him. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I came that you may have life. And Israelites stepped off into this destruction, but He kept bringing judges back to deliver them back to life. So here we see they step off in sin. Verse 8. And look at verse 9. So sin brings pain, it brings conflict, it brings destruction, but notice what the children of Israel did. What did they do? Kevin. They cried out. They cried out to the Lord, right? In their pain and misery, they cried out for a deliverer. And what was the guy's name? Othniel. Othniel, yeah. It's not Othniel. It's Othniel. I'm learning Hebrew. Othniel. 
It was Caleb's younger brother. You see this guy. You guys have read about him a couple chapters back. He's the one that when Caleb said, hey, if you go take this land, I'll give you my daughter. And Othniel jumped in line and said, I'm your guy. And so you see God raising up these men to actually deliver his people. Go to the next verse, Kevin. But here's what you got to know. Sometimes I think our struggle with this battle is that we put our faith in man. Othniel was a great guy. But look at verse 10. you got to keep this. Throughout the entire book of Judges, you've got to keep this in fact. It wasn't these guys that were, they were deliverers. But God was delivering his people. He was just using man. And so notice Othniel stepped up. But look at this verse 10. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel. And he judged Israel. And he went out to what? War. There was a war going on. He had to take the land. He had to go in the enemy's camp. He had to do what God had called him to do. And so he had to go to war with the king of Mesopotamia. But notice this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. From the beginning and to the end, you see the Holy Spirit, the power of God, coming upon man to empower him to do what God said do. And so Athenael, it wasn't, it was Athenael. He was a great man, but it was the Spirit of God that came on him that empowered him to set the people free. So what happened after the Spirit of the Lord came upon Athenael? He, 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 inter- he intercepted the king of Mesopotamia. And then verse 11 says this. So the hand of the, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm used to reading here. I'm going to read here. So the, so the land had rested for how many years? 40. They went into captivity. Here comes Athenael. And then now they rested for 40 years. So stop just a second. This helps me. What does it look like to rest for 40 years? That gives me peace right now. When they sought God and they walked out and allowed this guy to deliver them, they walked in peace and they had rest. But what you'll see is the test. They were continually tested. They would fall into cap, they would sin, they would fall into captivity, they would cry out to God and He would bring them rest. And so I'm going to skip over there right after this. They actually, 40 years they have rest. Uh, but in verse 12 it says, they did evil again in the sight of the Lord and He delivered them into the king of Moab. Uh, for, I think, 18 years they were in captivity. Man, I don't like captivity. I don't know about you. 18 years of captivity because of disobedience. Disobedience will always lead to captivity. But he raised up another judge named Ahud. And Ahud, actually, pretty cool story. You need to take some time to read about this guy. For time's sake, I'm going to jump to Deborah. But this guy, God raised him up, and he actually was a left-handed Benjamite, which is uh, which is really cool. Uh, but the cool thing is, man, he's got a pretty crazy story, but I want to jump to Deborah. So Kevin, if you'll jump to Deborah, I just want to talk about this thread, but while he's doing that, uh, I just want to stop for just a second about this whole deliverer thing. When we process Jesus, I think when I talk about deliverer, my mind automatically goes to Jesus. He's our deliverer. What we see happening in judges here today that you, these things happen But God continually delivered man, and our ultimate deliverance was Jesus. So these guys are a picture, I believe, or top, maybe not top, but a picture of Christ to come, that he's going to be our deliverer. So I want to jump in for just a second and talk about Deborah. Uh, There's some pretty cool stuff in this story that's really impacted my life, and I want to just kind of go here this morning. So Judges chapter 4, it says, So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin. This is after 18 years of captivity. This is, this is after Ehud, Ehud, excuse me, jumps in. After Ehud, there was 80 years of rest. So this is coming out of 80 years of rest. And then Israel's sinning again. So verse 2 says this. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Yabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Uh, and his commander of his army was Caesarea, who dwelt in Hasorath, Gom. That's what I, what I read. So go to verse three. So the children, so here you see Sisera come on the screen 
And then captivity, and here you see the nation of Israel crying out again. It's like sin, captivity, crying. Sin, captivity, crying. Man, sometimes that sounds like uh, the place I live today, uh, America. What is going on with our country? What are we doing? How are we living? Uh, but here's the good part. What is? I just want to stop. Man, have you noticed this thread in the Bible where they just keep sinning and they keep going to captivity, they keep going out? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd say, hey, man, sorry. That's number three. You only had three. Number four, sorry about your luck. You see the love and grace of God that when Israel cries out, he delivers. It wasn't because of them. It's because of God's love. He loves them so much. When they would fall to desperation, they would call out to God and he would bring deliverance. And so the cool thing about these stories is the more you process in them, you see God's love and hand. They would cry out and he would raise up another guy. So he raises up this guy named Deborah. Verse four. So Deborah jumps on the scene as a judge. She's a prophetess. Some of y'all, that may be weird terminology. A prophetess is just simply God had given her the ability to discern the mind and purpose of God and declare it to others. She was hearing from God and she was speaking to others. And she was also a judge at this time. So God had given her great discernment. He'd given her a place to judge. And she was counseling people, discerning things. So she was a leader in Israel. Next verse, Kevin. Here's verse 4, 5. And she would sit on the palm tree of Deborah uh, at Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came to her for judgment. So here comes Deborah on the scene. She's judging Israel. But then God starts to speak to her. So she sent and calls this guy named Barak. How many people have heard of Barak? Does anybody know? Barak's always a guy that gets a bad name. We're going to see why. But I don't think it's such a bad name. So she calls for Barak. He's the commander of the military. And this is what she says to him. Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, go and deploy troops to Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men, the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you, I'll deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and with his chariots and his multitudes, they'll come and I'll deliver you, and I will deliver him into your hand. I almost said that wrong. So pretty much what Deborah's saying to Barak is, hey, take your troops, 10,000. That's a pretty strong army. Go up against Sisera and I'm going to deliver him into your hand. Well, here's something you need to know about Sisera. Next verse, Kevin. Before we go there, before this, we're going to go here. Uh, I want to just tell you just a second about, if you look at verse three again, Kevin, it says that, uh, Sisera, Jabin's army, had 900 chariots, uh, and he had oppressed Israel for 20 years. So in this deal, it, it's not like she's saying, Barak, go kill them 10 guys. This guy was a really bad dude. He had 900 chariots. He had harshly oppressed Israel for 20 years. There was fear here. And so when Deborah speaks to Barak and says, hey, take these guys and go conquer this guy, there had to be something going on there with him. So let's get back on the verse. All right, let's look at verse 8. This is where Barak gets such a bad name. Not a bad name, but he catches a lot of grief for this. So here's Deborah, right, female, just, just call it out. Judge, some people have a hard time with that. But she speaks to Barak and says, if you'll go with me, I'll go with you. But if you won't go with me, I ain't going. And so everybody looks at Barak as some weak guy who was just a coward. But you know what I think happened with Barak? Barak knew that Deborah was hearing from God. And the one thing I love about Barak is when you read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see Barak's name there. I don't have time to go to the reference, but it says, and there was Barak and there was Gideon. Hebrew, Barak made it to the hall. I call Hebrews 11 the hall of fame. How did his name get there? Because here's the deal. For me, this just one verse. I'm like, man, this guy's a coward. What's wrong with this guy? Go to the next verse, Kevin, verse nine. 
So Deborah looks at him and says, Surely I'll go with you. Nevertheless, there'll be no glory for you in the journey you're taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera in the hand of a woman. And Deborah rose with Barak and went to Kadesh. Now think about that for just a minute. Deborah even calls him out. Since you won't go, you're not going to get the glory. Some other gal is. Verse 9. Verse 10, thanks. So Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went with him. Now, we'll skip through that one, Kevin, verse 12. And they reported back to Sesra that Barak, the son of Abram, had come and up to Mount Tabor. I'm just going to cruise for just a second. So they go into battle. You'll actually see this in Judges 5, but when they battle against Sesra and all their chariots, God kind of sends this little bit of a rainstorm that helps them win the battle. And long story short, when they engage Sisera, they kill all his men, but Sisera escapes. And as Sisera's escaping, he's thinking he's gone. Barak has followed God. He'd heard what Deborah said. He steps out there, and Sisera runs. And as he's running, he actually engages this gal. He runs into this city, and there's this lady there named Jehel. Jehel. And she, he actually comes into her tent and lays down to sleep. She knows him. She was an ally of theirs. They were in this place. She wasn't necessarily an ally, but she was a person of peace. He lays down, long story short, man, she takes this, she actually takes a tent peg and drives it through his temple as he's sleeping. You're thinking, wow, how do we just go from a barrack and all these chariots to this lady driving a tent peg through somebody's temple? Well, let's just be clear. If you move and you're nomadic and there's tents everywhere, what do you have at your disposal? There's tent pegs laying around and there's hammers laying around. This lady saw him and saw what God was doing and she took it upon herself to actually do what God had said to do. I believe that it was ordained by God. She took, drove a tent peg through the sky. Whoa, crazy stuff. But long story short, Sisera died. Israel was set free through two people. Three people, actually. Deborah, female. Barak, a guy they said might have been a coward. And this gal who was uh, living in tents, who her name was Yahil. But Israel was set free through three people. And here's what I'm going to leave. Three people, I believe with all my heart, none of these people cared about getting the glory. They just wanted to see Israel free. So as these judges came in, as they would deliver people, Barak made a statement, I'm not going unless you go with me. I believe Barak had in his heart one thing. I don't care who comes or who gets the glory. I just want to see God win. Barak didn't mind being second. Barak didn't mind coming under female leadership. Barak knew that Deborah was hearing from God. And he was willing to use whatever gift he had along with Deborah's gift, to see God set Israel free. So how does this boil down to you? What about you? Are you willing to do whatever God calls you to do if you never get the limelight, if they never talk about your name? Are you willing to go to war for God and nobody gets the glory but Jesus? And so as we start to kind of land the plane here, my heart is this. How did Israel do? How did they take the test? What can we learn from what they were doing? Good question, right? How does this tie into your life? Here we see Othniel, we see Ehud, and we see Deborah and Barak and this other gal. We see God using people to set his people free. I believe simply this. We live in a day-to-day where God is trying to do the same thing. Jesus has set you free. He set us free. He's our deliverer. The justice of God was met with Christ. But I believe that we've slipped off into some... Immorality. We slipped off into doing evil, and now there's idolatry. There's all kinds of things going on in the land that we live in in America. But I believe that God's calling you, and He's calling me. The reason why we do Revive School is not just to get knowledge, but to take this knowledge we're learning, take these stories as examples, and that we would not repeat history. So as I look at you here today, my question is, what about you?
God could be calling you just to be the deliverer of Elkhart County, could be the deliverer of Ohio, could be deliverer in Texas. But who are you waiting on? Because I believe he's calling you. So my heart is as you read through the book of Judges and we start processing all this stuff, I believe God's calling his people to be deliverers. I believe he's empowering you to do and step out and live for him today. Can't compromise this whole deal, the whole spectrum. I'm not calling out certain sins because everybody struggles with different ones. But here's what I am calling out. I'm calling out you as a Christian. What are we going to do with the book of Judges? What are we going to do? Are we passing the test? If not, no worries. What do you need to do? Cry out to the Lord and take your place in the seat of Judges for our cities, for our country, for our nation. Guys, thanks. I hope you've enjoyed the time. Uh, there may have been some words there. You're like, hey, I ain't never heard that before. But uh, thanks for having me today. Just want to say, uh, jump in. How are you doing on the test? You guys have a good day. Thanks. Thanks.